We had a reading earlier from Revelation, and this time it's from chapter 20, and the heading is The Thousand Years. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and raised with Christ and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Thanks, Catherine. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that your words are written down for us in the Bible. And as we come now to look at this particular passage, help us to listen to your word. Help us to understand your word and help us to obey your word. And we pray these things for Jesus sake. Amen. 
Well, you may remember that we began this series uh, back in Revelation chapter 4 with the vision of God seated on his throne in all his regal splendor. And in his hand was a scroll sealed with seven seals. It's a scroll that represents the unfolding plans and purposes of God in this world. And as the Lord Jesus peels back each seal, so we see further and deeper into God's plan of salvation and judgment. We then had a vision of of seven angels with seven trumpets. And with each trumpet blast, God announces another series of judgments in this world. And if you remember the imagery, the pictures, it, it was graphic, it was loud. And intentionally so. Each one was designed to wake up this sleeping world and bring it to its knees in repentance. And then we came to our third cycle of seven, a vision of seven angels with seven bowls in their hands, each one full to the brim with God's wrath and ready to be poured out on this world in judgment. Now, for those of you who've been with us for this series, it won't have escaped you that there's a, there's a lot of judgment in the book of Revelation. And there's a lot of judgment in the book of Revelation because there's a lot of evil in this world. You may recall the picture of, of Babylon and the great prostitute in chapter 17, symbols of a powerful and a persuasive world order that is opposed to God and is seeking to lead and lure people away from Jesus and bring them to eternal ruin. And one of the things that the book of Revelation is brilliant at doing is opening our eyes. It helps us see that we are in a a spiritual battle. Not just a battle out there in the world. There is a battle going on in the human heart for our loyalty, for our allegiance, and for our love for Jesus. Hence the call of Christ in chapter 16, verse 15, to be on your guard. Do you remember these words from Jesus? Look, says Jesus, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Just like a soldier on active duty, we're called to be dressed and ready for action, spiritually awake to the schemes of the evil one and ready for the return of Jesus who is coming back soon from heaven in glory. And that's where we left off last time, isn't it, in Revelation chapter 19, where we had a vision of a rider on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood. It is a picture of Jesus returning from heaven as the all-conquering king to rid this world of that beastly rule and to establish his eternal kingdom. And when he comes... The beast and the false prophet, along with Satan, as we read about this morning, will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And only then, only then, when this world is vanquished of evil, all that stands against God, only then will Jesus bring in the new creation that we're going to read about in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. But before we get there to the new creation, two things must happen that are brought to our attention in chapter 20. Firstly, the dragon will be judged. And secondly, the dead will be judged. 
Let's take a look at the dragon first and read with me, if you would, verses 1 to 3 again. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. Do you notice the fourfold description of the evil one there in verse 2? He's described as the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil and Satan. It is a description of evil that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when that ancient serpent deceived Adam and Eve and led the whole of this creation into chaos and disorder. But here we read of his demise, seized by an angel, bound with a great chain, thrown into the abyss, locked, sealed and kept from deceiving the nations anymore until the 1000 years are over. And at the end of that time, verse seven, he'll be released from his prison to launch one final assault on the throne of God before he is disposed of forever into the lake of burning sulfur. Now, I think it's fair to say that probably more ink has been spilt on these verses than any other in the whole of Scripture. And it's all to do with this 1,000-year period known as the millennium. Now, if you were to read the, the commentaries and the books on this particular passage, you'd find a lot of long words and complicated language, most of which was uh, found on a sign pinned up outside a church in America which read this. We are a premillennial, dispensationalist, pre-tribulation, single rapture church, and we welcome all those who are one with us in Christ. Now, you'd be glad to know it's not my aim this morning to try and help us understand those words and that sign. There's plenty of books out there that can do that job far better than me. But what I do want to do, if I can, is try and help you as, as simply and as quickly as possible understand the three main positions regarding this millennial period, this 1,000 years. And you see, it's all to do with timing. How does this 1,000 years... And remember, this is a symbolic length of time in the book of Revelation. Numbers are not literal, but they're symbolic. How does this long period of time relate to the return of Jesus Christ and the binding of Satan. Well, firstly, we have uh, the premillennial position, so-called because they believe that Jesus is going to return before, pre, the millennial, the 1,000 years. And so at some future point, Jesus is going to come back. When he does, Satan will be bound, which will lead to a time of unprecedented peace where many, many, many people will come to faith in Christ. During that time, all those who've read it already left this world trusting in Jesus will be raised to new life to reign with Jesus physically on earth. And only at the end of that time will Satan be released before he is disposed of in the lake of burning sulfur. That's the pre-millennial position. Secondly, there's the post-millennial position, so-called because they believe Jesus will return after or post the 1,000 years. From this perspective, the, 
the, the, the binding of Jesus is still, the binding of Satan, sorry, sorry, is still in the future, which will again lead to a time of unprecedented peace. But in contrast, Jesus isn't going to reign physically on earth during that time. He's going to reign from heaven through his church here on earth before he comes back to dispose of Satan, to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And then thirdly, we have the amillennial position, so-called because they believe that we're already in the 1,000 years. The millennium then, this, this period of time, isn't something coming in the future. It is, a, it is a present reality. From this perspective, Satan has already been bound at the cross, which is why the kingdom of God is advancing now, and it will continue to do so until Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead, which means the thousand years is synonymous with the present church age. They're the same thing. It begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and will end when Jesus comes back. Now I can see as I've done my reading, I think how different people end up in these different positions. And people do end up in different positions as they seek to interpret these verses. For what it's worth, my own conviction is in line with the third position there. The amillennial position. And I want to take you back to Mark chapter 3 to help you understand why. You see, as we try to understand and interpret the book of Revelation, it comes right at the end of the Bible, and it's important that we read it in light of everything that has come before. The Old Testament prophecies and promises, the teaching of our Lord Jesus, which is where we're going in Mark chapter 3, and the teaching of the New Testament letters. So keep a finger in Revelation 20, and just flick back to Mark chapter 3, if you would. In verse 22, Jesus is being... Accused of being in league with Satan because he's driving out demons. And so Jesus calls these people over who are accusing him and he begins to speak to them in parables. And he says to them, look at the end of verse 23, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. You see, the strong man in the story is Satan. Here's the point Jesus is making. Not until Satan has been bound can people be plundered or released from his possession. And with the arrival of Jesus in this world, that's exactly what happened. Through the life and the ministry of Jesus, he went face to face with evil and won. And ultimately that victory happened through his death and resurrection on the cross. The strong man has already been bound by Jesus. We see the same thing in John chapter 12, verse 31. As Jesus looks forward to the cross, this is what he says. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world has been driven out. It is at the cross that Jesus was driven out. It is at the cross that Jesus was defeated, where that that fatal blow was delivered. It is at the cross where Satan has been bound. Yes, he still has an influence in this world. We've seen that throughout the book of Revelation. 
We're not denying that, but this is the point. He's no longer deceiving the world as he once was. And that is why people all across this globe are coming to faith in vast numbers. And that's the story of the book of Acts, isn't it? The explosion of the church. The gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the very ends of this earth. And it's going to keep on going. The gospel is taking hold of this world and it's going to keep going until Jesus comes back. And why is the gospel being victorious? Why are there people coming to faith in Jesus today? There are. Why is that happening? Because Satan has already been bound. And that's exactly what's going on, I think, back in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 20. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the 1,000 years were ended. God's kingdom is being built because Satan has been bound. Now, of course, there's a lot more that we could say, and there's a lot more that's been written, and it's probably over to you to go away and to continue to think and to read and to pray and to talk about these things. But before we move on, there is one other thing to say about this millennial Period, And it's there in verse 4. Notice that this is a time during which Christians who have died will reign with Christ. Do you see that there at the end of verse 4? They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Some have argued that this refers just to, to Christian martyrs, those who've been killed for their faith. I think a better interpretation, given the context of Revelation, is that it is all those who've been faithful unto death, which is all true believers. So whether you are martyred in your faith at a young age, or whether you die as an old Christian in your bed, still trusting in Jesus, both have been faithful unto death. And both are now reigning with Jesus in glory. And that's why we read in verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who've already left this world trusting in Jesus. Then when the thousand years are over, verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison for a short time. And off he goes to gather all the forces of evil he can for one final assault on the throne of God. It's the same battle that we read about in chapter 16 and chapter 19. The battle known as Armageddon. And so what we have here is one final camera angle of that same climactic event. Which shows us in high definition the final defeat of Satan. And it is a defeat that can only be described as quick and easy. Have a look at verse 8 and 9. In number, these are the forces of evil gathered by Satan, the dragon. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city that he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. It's the biggest anticlimax ever, isn't it? Satan gathers everyone and everything he can, such is his hatred for God, to try and launch one final assault on God and his people. And as they march across this land with purpose, ready to do battle, we're building for this big climax. But fire comes down from heaven and devours them. The battle is over before it is even begun. Such is the power 
and the superiority of the one who is seated on his throne where we began this series back in Revelation chapter 4. And the conclusion is there in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Notice that hell isn't a place where Satan rules. It is a place where Satan suffers forever. Firstly, the dragon will be judged. That will happen before God brings in the new creation. And secondly, the dead will be judged. Have a look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. The great white throne is the same throne we saw in Revelation chapter 4. And do you remember the imagery, the jewels and the splendor and the brightness of that throne? So great is the glory and the majesty and the splendor and the sheer holiness of God that the earth and the heavens flee from his presence. This is the throne that we will stand before in judgment. Have a look at verse 12. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Picture the scene as you would as people are entering into heaven, a vast library full of books, uh, books that, that hold every every detail of every deed, of every human being who has ever existed. And it's all there recorded in the books. Nothing is missing, nothing. It's all being captured, it's all there. And there is more than enough evidence in those books to find us all guilty of sin. But before those books are taken off the shelf and dusted down and opened, before our lives are exposed before the heavenly council... Our attention is drawn to another book that comes into view. Do you see it there in the middle of verse 12? Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Or as it's called in the next chapter, the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because it contains a full register. Every name of all those who trusted in the Lamb who was slain for the people of this world. The Lamb of God. Our Lord Jesus. I still remember as a a seven-year-old the first time I uh, played a proper footy match for school and the team sheet was going on the the notice board at lunchtime. So the end of fourth period, I sprinted off to the PE department to scan down the list, yeah? And you're looking down the list of names and I'm longing for to find my name on there. And when you find it, there's there's just a sense of joy that wells up in your heart. As a seven-year-old lad, I've made the team. I'm in. I've made it. That was a good thing for me to be on the team sheet as a seven-year-old boy. It is everything, absolutely everything, to find your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. To scan down that book and to find your name your own personal name written in the blood of Jesus Christ. Colin Wells, safe forever. Not because of my own behavior or performance or goodness, 
Nothing to do with me. All because of the finished work of Jesus Christ who laid down his life on the cross for each one of us. You see, it doesn't matter how many bad deeds are recorded in those other books. It doesn't matter how wayward your life has been. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will pass straight through judgment into glory. Because every single one of our broken, flawed, sinful, selfish deeds, acts, thoughts and desires, all of them lay to the account of Christ. That we might go in before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Colin Wells, safe forever because of Jesus. But of course, there's a flip side, isn't there? I don't know whether you've ever looked for your name in something and not found it there. Maybe you've auditioned for the end of school play for, for the main cast list and you go to look at the final cast list and your name's not there. It is a horrible thing to be left on the outside of something. It leaves you such an empty feeling, doesn't it? In the stomachs where we get that word gutted from. Now imagine scanning through the Lamb's Book of Life and not finding your name there. Can there be anything more terrible than that? And the consequences are clear to see in verse 15. Anyone whose name was not written in the Book of Life was thrown into the lake of fire, which as we read in verse 14 is the second death. The first death is physical. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. But at judgment for those who have not trusted in Jesus, there is a second death which by nature is spiritual and eternal. And so I must ask you the all-important question. Is your name in the book? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you trusted In Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. I hope so and I pray so because if you have then the new creation is beckoning you home. And that is exactly where we're going to pick up the story in two weeks time as we enter the new creation and we see what John saw. But as we finish let me summarize what we've looked at this morning. We've covered quite a lot of ground in quite a short period of time. So here's a few takeaway points I hope. Uh, from this morning right now my conviction is that we're in the millennial period satan has been bound already at the cross and as a result the kingdom of god is advancing and nobody can stop it what a joy that is number two all those who trusted in the lord jesus and have left this world already trusting in him are already reigning in glory with jesus now What a comfort that is to those who are left behind. And then thirdly, one day soon, when the seventh seal is removed, when the seventh trumpet sounds, when the seventh bowl is poured out, the Lord Jesus will return from heaven in glory to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, 
Those who've already left this world trusting in Jesus will be gathered together with those in the world who are still alive trusting in Jesus and they'll be gathered together and together as one glorious people. We will be given new physical resurrection bodies that are perfectly fitted out for the new creation. And there we will dwell under the blessing of God for all of eternity. And that's what Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is all about. Why don't we pray before we sing again? Father in heaven, we thank you that there is a Lamb's book of life. We thank you that there is a new creation coming. We thank you for the Lamb of God who was slain for the people of this world. Our glorious Savior who left heaven who humbled himself, who lived, who died, who rose again in this world, who has ascended to that glorious position of authority, the right hand of his Father, and one day is coming back soon to judge the living and the dead and to bring in his new creation. Father, how we thank you for those of us who can sit here this morning And know in our hearts that the Lord Jesus came for us, that our name is graven on his hands. Our name is written on his heart. Thank you that our place in heaven is sure and secure. Not because of our own merit or behavior or because of our own performance, but because there is one far greater than us who lived a perfect life and has taken our sinful life and given us his perfect life that we might pass through judgment into that glorious new world father how we thank you for these things and as we as we sing of them now lord i pray that these words would mean much to us would they fill our hearts with joy and would it be a joy that spills out into all of life that others in our lives in our communities in our workplaces might taste and see that the lord is good and we pray all these things for his glory Amen.